You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Shalom, we now are in our fifth Tzurba Barabonin class. Uh, we are entering the very big subject of Talmud Torah. I mean, there's so many ways uh, you could approach the subject. Uh, I want to start with something which I guess is controversial, and it's still as fresh as today's headlines. Uh, recently, the uh, the ruling coalition in Eretz Yisrael um, proposed language in a bill that would say it's official state policy that learning Torah is a positive value equal to national service and that it is national service and that people who spend their life studying Torah are contributing to the welfare of the country because of the great mitzvah of Talmud Torah. And this caused a, this unleashed a lot of ire, uh, properly so. It's not that I don't believe that's true, but to actually have it emblazoned as part of a secular, quote-unquote, democratic country, uh, that isn't the way to go on this. But that is something which the Koylo Yungalite, which the Haredim believe, and they are willing to go to the mattresses for it. They're willing to push for it, and they believe this is something that, in a way, defines their lives, which is to sit and learn all day and to sp- spend as much time learning Torah as you can, to, to like as Tevye says in the Fiddler on the Roof song, learning Torah night and day. That would be the sweetest thing of all. Of course, Tevye would be rich. Problem here is, is that the people be learning Torah would be being supported by the state. In other words, being supported to study Torah. That's really the issue. And that's really where, um, why should my taxes go to pay for someone to be studying Torah? Why should any money be going to people to be studying Torah? Now, let's just say parenthetically, I'm going to leave the the national Israeli scene in a minute, but parenthetically, we know there's monies that go to other things too. There are stipends and other things that go for many other types of educational support other than learning Torah. But the idea of grown men shirking their army responsibility and not just claiming that the army will destroy them spiritually, which is one taina, but rather the fact is that what they're doing is as important and more important. This is something that is is uh, an anathema to the Israeli left. This statement in itself, without all the uh, aspects of trying to force religious life onto the non-religious. This statement in itself is pointed to as an attitude that is shocking and terrible. Um, I'm not, I, don't, I don't share their shock. I don't share their terror. What I'm trying to say is that this issue we're going to explore tonight is ancient and, and, and contemporary at the same time. And it's still being fought over. And what's interesting is that a number of years ago, when the Lapid government came into power, um, they had a uh, 
a representative in their government called Manalasi that was based on the language of the Rambam that we're going to be seeing tonight. So these things aren't just something to be found in a book. They are still swirling in the world today. So I thought it would be worthwhile to start with the the parts of things that are still contentious. It starts in the in Pirkei Avos. Okay. One of the things you shouldn't make, you shouldn't use Torah for. Al tasem, the words of Torah, a Torah is gadel You shouldn't use Torah as a crown. We know everybody appreciates brilliance, intellectualism. Torah should not turn into that. In other words, the fact that everybody is wowed by your your addition, wowed by your understanding. And now you see, I have this crown, we him. You can see it as a way to to rise in social uh, station and in influence and significance among people. Don't let Torah be that for you. And it also should not be a, a, a shovel or a spade with which to dig. So the first person is motivated by kavod. The second person is motivated by the fact that he can somehow dig with it. It can somehow be practical, his divrei Torah, that he somehow digs with it. Hmm, what does that mean? We'll see in a minute. And this is what Hilo says. A person who uses that crown, and I guess these are the, this is the double use of the crown. Something happens to them. They're gone. The English translates it as perishing, but something happens. They're gone. Halamadita, the Mishnah says. Very interesting sort of like statement for the Mishnah. Usually the, the Mishnah is more making declarations, but this is sort of like a brisa within the Mishnah, like a addition into the Mishnah. Halamadita. Kolanena medivrei Torah. No tel chayov min ha'olam. That if you're getting benefit from Torah, somehow your life is taken from this world or the world to come. Somewhat cryptic what this means. It's very crucial that it's Hillel that's speaking. Okay. Next, we have a little sliver of the Rambam. Okay, let's take a look at this. From this Parish Mishnah. Hillel was a worker. He chopped wood. As the Gemara in Yuma says, he need, he he needed to pay the entry fee to get to the uh, into the base medrash, and and that entry fee was what he earned by selling his his firewood. As the Gemara points out, uh, the Ram doesn't bring the whole Gemara down, but we know Hillel. At one time, because of whatever the situation was, he didn't have the the extra money uh, to to be able to sub- allow himself entry into the base Knesset, the base medrash. I'm sorry, and of course, he ended up on the skylight trying to hear the divrei Torah that was saying by Shmaya which the Rambam says you see that he was as poor as possible. And we know, despite him being poor, look how great he became. 
his students were compared to Moshe and Yeshua. Vikotan Talmida was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. So here's a man who lived in poverty and became the great teacher of Klau Yisrael. Do you think that that if he could be supported, do you think they would have let him continue in this menial task of value in supporting someone and paying your teacher? Don't you think they would have gained, they would have done a GoFundMe page and not allowed Kilo to keep on doing this menial job? If if it, let's read it again. You think if he would have agreed to take money, do you think they would have let him continue to have this job? Obviously, the Rambam says he will refuse to take the money. They maybe suggested it, but he will stayed the menial worker that he began as. And Hanina Bedosa, Asher Kol Koryalov, the whole world gets their schuyot from what this great tzaddik does. The chanina b'ni, the cold, the basko comes out and says, "Dayo kav charuvin." What does he need? So even though everybody recognized that he was this great saint, and maybe he should be taken care of, the same basko, the Rambam says, points out that he doesn't need much. Let him live on that. Die kav charuv and meir of Shabbos, meir of Shabbos. Now, a kav of, of caribs wasn't too much to eat. I had much more than that today at that wedding. Right? Of a kav charuv, that's all he had for the week. And that's what he lived on. So isn't that like saying that you can be the saint of the generation, but you don't need to be supported? And he he didn't ask anything from anyone, right? Um, in other words, the Basco was saying he should stay that way. He doesn't need to be supported. Vikarna, who was a dying Bukhaveritz Yisrael, and we know who Yamashka Sodos, we know part of his profession was a, an irrigator of fields. And Rabbi Yosef, Mishnah Torah goes even further. And you can see it here up on the board. In other words, he says, this is what makes sense to me. There's a community out there that's willing to support me. I'm going to learn Torah. I'm not going to busy. I'm not going to do work. There's going to be tzelka, and I'm going to learn Torah. That's a chival Hashem, and he's made Torah, um, he's dishonoring it. There's the dos of Torah, there's the or of it that influences people. He's extinguishing it. Ma'or means it is actually generates light to others. And he has been mechave this ma'or. Normally, the dust is there, and it's beautiful, and it, it, it's, it's suggestive. It's, it spiritually influences people who see the great 
members of Judaism who are part of this pantheon of, of great people. The Torah is studied for its purity. And then you, when you have this person, he's really going, doing the opposite. What's he doing is, is he is, he is extinguishing that ma'or. Vigora morala atzvay. And even though he's taking, he's going to take money, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to ricochet back on him. It's going to be bad. And by doing this, his olam haba is decreased. Why? You can't say, because I'm studying Taira, this will be my Olam Hazes taken care of. Because now Taira is, is Olam Hazes stuff is being bought by my involvement in studying of Taira. And then he quotes the mission in Pirkei Ovos. And this is what Richard was saying. We should love to do work. And we shouldn't want to be um, have, have leadership positions where we're in charge. There are people who have to have it. But this isn't something that we should aspire to. If you don't have work together with Taira, what will happen to your Taira? The Mishnah says. Sofa Betela. That, that Taira ends up being negated, extinguished. And this is incredible. Vigoireres Ovoin. So a person who's learning all day, being paid to learn all day, according to this, is basically, the Rambam says, um, it's, it's, first of all, his Torah will wither, despite the amount of hours and freedom he has to learn and explore and write and publish Svarim. And the second thing is, it will lend, lead him to become a Lothario, to become a, a, a sinner, maybe take advantage of people why? Why? Because he doesn't have a parnosa. He becomes decrepit. He becomes exposed. And what happens to him is that he, he ends up stealing. He ends up running Ponzi schemes, shams for his institutions, stealing from people. Okay, let's go to the next Rambam. Very next Aloha. So really what you should do is have a job. Be able to have Parnosa from a job you do that people pay you for. You you're part of an you're part of an economic system where you are contributing. And this is actually what the great Hasidim Rishonim did. Hillel is who he's talking about here. This is where you get the kabod and the tova in this world and the next world. In other words, you, you are going to eat the toil of your hands. That's good for you. What does it mean? Ashrecha v'tayvlach. Why does it have to say the double term here in this pasuk in Tehillim? Ashrecha as bayil mazeh. 
Betoivloch, similar to the way it's uh, interpreted for Kibbet Aveim and Shuach Hakein, that Arichas Yomim is going to be Lo'elam Habo Shekulei Toiv. Okay. So that's, that is a brief statement of, of the Rambam's position that he codifies. Go ahead. Can I mention one? There's a Hasidic concept that any avoda, any work that you do makes the vessel and a vessel is needed to receive Hashem's blessing. So it doesn't really matter what the work is. So vis-a-vis Hillel, as long as you're doing something that's productive, you're creating that vessel that will then be able to enable you to receive the, the blessings of Parnassus or whatever. Okay. Um, so you're talking about an idea that the Balshemtov popularized, which is that you have to make a kli, which is what you said, making a vessel. In other words, you can't just expect mon to fall from Shemayim. You have to make some effort. And depending on what level you're on, like the story goes, the Balshemtov, all he had to do was knock on a window, right? Uh, and then go away in the snow. Other people have to work harder, right? That's the that's the complete Hasidic story that's connected to that principle. We see it from the man, how the man fell, depending on... On your level of tzidkus. If you were a tzaddik, it was close to your home. The less of a tzaddik you were, the farther you needed to go to get the man. So you have to do some effort. But that's really a metaphysical concept that God just doesn't shower you with money or help you unless you have some effort. So you'd have to make some ishtadlus. Um But the Rambam doesn't mean that. The Rambam is talking about not refusing positions. He doesn't deny that Hillel was this great leader, but that these leaders um, had their own source of income and were not supported. Okay. I said it's a truncated version of the Rambam. We could take a look at the Rambam inside, and I think we'll see something. But right away, I think all of you should be asking the story. I mean, the main, and the, the Rabbi Yosef Cairo points this out, that the Rambam's, one of his main sources is Hillel. Now, this is Hillel before he becomes Hillel, the Nasi of Klal Yisrael. This is Hillel, the student, Right. So the Rambam is right. There is no Kohel system around in the time of Shemaya Vavtalio and Hillel. In fact, you had to pay to pay for the lights and the heat of the base medrash. And everybody who used it, it made sense from a democratic perspective that everybody needs to pay their fair share to make use of a, of a room that was protected and had perhaps written books or uh, oil lamps that people could study uh, into the evening. Okay. But Hillel becomes afterwards the Nasi of Klal Yisrael. There's no proof from that Gemara that he stayed in that job. Right? And even the, the quote from Hanina Bendosa Right? What was the quote that, oh, he can just live with Haruvim? He's a tzaddik. There's a certain people who are tzaddikim who live on such a high level as Hanina did. Yochanan ben Zaka himself said that Hanina was like an Eved to God. Remember, Yochanan ben Zaka's son was sick, and they called Hanina ben Dosa 
to save him, to daven for him. And Yochanan Menzakai's wife asked him, why is it that you, why can't you? You're the leader of Klal Yisrael. You're the greatest teacher, Torah teacher that there is. Torah is the greatest value and commodity. Why can't you? So he said, there, I am like a Sar with Nayamelech. I'm like a lieutenant in the army. Lieutenant has tremendous responsibility and can sometimes make battlefield decisions that will influence the, the history of their nation, as Yochanan Zakai did. He made this incredible decision, of course, as we read in the Gemara and Gitan. However, I am not like the valet. Hanina Medeis can come in any time and he can slip a message in that I can't. He has a closeness, a a aspect of of intimacy with God that I don't have. And when there are life and death decisions like our child, whether he's going to die from this disease that is severely affecting him, I need to have that personal touch. And that type of tzaddik that he is, he can survive Gandhi-like or way beyond on very little. But that doesn't mean that everyone needs to survive that way. That doesn't mean that we should not support them. He didn't need it. Does that mean everyone should be like Hanina Bendosa? Hanina Bendosa is clearly uh, an outlier. And it's, 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 a, it's a chidosh to say that's what the Baskol is about. I'm in Pirkeiovos. And he says, he says, He says, I really did not want to talk about this Mishnah and this directive about don't using Torah for your personal gain. Because it seems to be very obvious. I don't really need to get on a soapbox. Remember, the Rambam's commentary on the Mishnah is is a utilitarian commentary. It isn't meant to have these very long asides. But he does do it. Uh, Whether it's in Sanhedrin, where he goes into a tremendous arichos about... um, the 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 wrong type of intergender behavior that's sort of uh, or or his introductions to to the uh, to the last parak of Sanhedrin or the Hakdama to Pirkeiovos, um, it's much you know as much as it's a great translation, which what it was, and explanation of the Mishnah. And letting the reader who reads the Mishnah understand the opinions and know what the Psach Halacha is, and that way it sort of sets the table for the Mishnah Torah, sometimes he decides he's going to do more than just explain the Mishnah. If there's some personal cause. And he says, I was not going to go out of my way here, but I know that most of what I say here will not be liked, will not jive, will not be accepted by most of the G'daylim in Torah. Ulai Lakula, maybe all of them. 
because my opinion goes against the grain. What I'm going to write here, I know, even though to me it's so obvious, it is against the standard conception of Torah in the 12th century when the Rambam was writing. He says, maybe even all the great people of Torah are against me. Amazing. Right? I'm sure maybe you've seen this before, but it is fascinating. Now, before I go on, we know that the Rambam um, was engaged in a number of halachic and philosophical debates with Rav Shmuel ben Eli, who was one of the Gaonim, so to speak, in Baghdad. And he was demanding support from the Fostat community, the Egypt, what we call the Mitzri community, and other places to continue supporting what he said was a continuation of the Gaonate. We've said in this forum, before it became Tsurimara Bonan, but remember when it was Gaonic literature, that the last Gaon was Rav Haigon. But just like many of the Gonim didn't think the period of the Amaroyim was over, even after Rav Haigon had passed away, the students who remained in Iraq, remained in Baghdad, they felt they were still the Gaonim. And they felt that, that, that even though the tides of change were swirling, they needed to clamp down on them. And, and just like their progenitors, the like Rav Amram and Rav Hai and Rav Shishna and Rav Palti and Rav Nitrunoi, they did not work. And in fact, the whole yeshiva was supported by funds that were collected from the whole diaspora. Monies were sent continuously. Gifts were given continuously from all the very communities to support this beacon of Tyra. And they would send their students to these growing communities to act as rabbis, teachers, directors, shochtim, because, of course, this was the Torah factory, and the Gaon himself uh, many times lived in a very lavish way. So the Rambam, you know, is, is, is fighting not only the present day, but the history, the precedental history of what who is considered great in Torah. Avol Omer I'm going to say it and not be quiet. I don't care. I'm not going to care about who's before me. And not who's still here. Okay. Um, and he mentions over here, he says, it says clearly that if, what does Kardom Lachvavo mean? That's what it means. That I'm digging with it. This is my, you've got the spade you dig with and you get paid for being a worker. I get paid for Torah. And it says that, that, that you're, that you're going to lose Olam Abba. Even though it's here in Pirkei Ovos, people forget about it. They throw it, yeah, they throw it behind their back. 
and they have other statements that they don't understand. But I'm going to tell you what those other statements mean. And they created legislation on all individuals, on all communities. But also as Aminuyim what they did was that this these Torah rules were basically attacks. They have caused Jewish people to believe something which is a complete and total idiocy. That you need to do it. That this is part of a Torah ideal. That we need to help these Chachamim. We have to help these students, the people that are studying Torah, and Torah is their life, he says. There's nothing in the Torah that quantifies this to be true. There's not, they don't have a foot to stand on at all. Why? And then he says, If we take Talmud Bavli, and maybe Yerushalmi, if we take that and we don't, we take that as a cutoff point, as the Rambam writes in his Agdome, that Bavli is where it stops. Ga'oinim don't count. The Ga'oinim aren't a unbroken extension of Talmud Bavli. The Mesoira and the Psokim of Ravina and Ravashi that are part of what the Ramam himself built Mishnah Torah on, those are sacrosanct. They can't be changed. But don't give me any mices from what's happening today. Let's let us focus just on the Teodas Chachamim. We never see that there are payments that everyone has to make in order to support the yeshiva, the low kibbutz mammon the yeshivas, they are great yeshivas. We never find in all of Talmud Bavli that they were collecting money to send to the the, the, the Sanhedrin. The low Roshi Goliyos, the low Dayanim, the low Abitzei Teira, the low Echon Min Amemunim, the low Shara Noshim. Ela Nimtzakilaseichem, Kul and Yeshbem Ani Betachlis. Some of them, every community, some, some of them had extremely poor people. And then you had people that were very wealthy. How could it be that we have the story of Rabbi Yeshua, who was so poor that he was a blacksmith, that when Rabbi came to his house, it was all black? Here is these Av Bezdin of Klal Yisrael. And he lives as poor as anyone. Are you going to say that that Jewish people are, are hard-hearted and they wouldn't have given tzedakah? <laughs> There's no question that Rabbi Shua wanted to. He, and he said, I'm, I need it. People would have recognized who he was and he would have been able to have a house full of jewels, of gold. 
because he had something to do. He was a blacksmith. He was a blacksmith. He could do that job. Some blacksmiths have, have who knows, they can open up uh, franchises, but he didn't. But everybody had a parnosa. Bein beravech, bein b'teichik. Uboz lemar shebidei b'nei odam. Uboz lemar shebidei b'nei odam. They didn't want to take money from people. Because the Torah is against it. That's a Dayan, a very great Dayan. And his job was he was a ditch irrigator. Um, and people would come to him for din because they needed his mental acuity. Look, it's going to take me a couple of hours to figure out what's going on here. I'm losing some money here. So either give get someone, the two parties should pool their money to pay for someone to take my place for today. Or or uh, the only thing I'm going to take from you is what I am losing for today. And then I'll do the din. <laughs> it's not that people were cruel. Why don't we find one of the an Amor is saying, I'm so poor, why are people giving me any money? They were Hasidim. They believed in truth. They believed in God and Teres Mesha. And they knew. That the way they were living was the pathway to the world to come, not taking it, suffering in a sense, not having the luxurious items. They wouldn't allow them that they wouldn't allow themselves to take money. If we would take money, why? Basically, what does that do to Torah? It means Torah, everyone's got a job. You're an architect, you're a code person for computers, you are a you have a um you have a vending machine route, you are a teacher in a in a in a music school, and you learn Torah. A shepherd <laughs> or a shepherd. Right, and you get paid by the people who you you watch their sheep. So basically, what Tayrak happens? Okay, this is your job. No, Hashem is part of it. People think, okay, like what do you want to grow up to be? Well, you could be a fireman; they make some money from the fireman. You can you could you know become an astronaut and get paid by the NASA. You could you be a doctor and you eventually get paid by by from Medicare and all the other ways you get paid for being a doctor. Or you can learn Torah and you can get paid by us. That means people basically think Torah is just a vocation. And therefore, Torah becomes some strictness uh, created, at least you're theorizing, that it created a situation that we know in Europe where the Amaratzim or the poor <laughs> felt disconnected to Torah. Many people feel this is really the revolution that the Baal Shem Tov came to, to basically uh cause which is that that the Talmud Chacham 
was no longer the center of the community. The tzaddik was the center of the community. The Talmud Chacham was the one who was bequeathed uh, a, a wealthy life and was part of the upper class. And <clears throat> there were very few from the poorer class that were able to learn Torah. And that created a great imbalance uh, socially between the people who had money, people who didn't. And there was a, a lack of respect for the Talmud HaChomim because they represented this wealthy class that uh, didn't seem to care that much. I think that's what you're sort of saying. And that was a very negative thing, right? Um, I don't deny that that was the state of affairs in Europe uh, at the time of the Baal Shem Tov's, um, movement. Um, we see that throughout the works. I don't believe you're right, though, that it was a byproduct of the Rambam. I, I think the Rambam... Um, I, I think it was byproduct of the of the changing economy, discrepancy yes. between poor and lack of distribution of wealth. And... and To be is that the Rambam is being unrealistic. And to take the Rambam for today is unrealistic because the idea that you could be a, 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 a impoverished worker and still ascend the heights of great learning and money would be inconsequential and you wouldn't take anything, that is something that you believe is unrealistic and that didn't happen because you're, you point to the history of, of Europe in the uh, 17th century, and you see that it was not that way. You see that you know you might have had scores of young people who would want to be scholars, but would want to learn, but they couldn't <laughs> because it was just impossible uh, to be able to do that. And I, I think what I could use your point to say is, you know, the Rambam's living in, and the Rambam has created a fantasy description of the Yemei Chazal. And he seems to feel that he can bring that back. Uh, you know, he believes that that, 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 that that there's no reason why that shouldn't be the case again. That what is, in other words, the Rambam believes that the situation of Torah of his time is, is, a, is a slap in the face to Talmud Bavli's description of the the Tanoyim and Amaroyim. It is a bastardization of learning. And he is revealing the the mechanism that allows it, which is the taxes and the forced the forcing of communities to be sending money to the yeshivas and to the heads of the yeshiva. That is what the Rambam is 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 exposing and what is what he's against. Um and you know, uh, he. I think what we could use your argument to say is that, well, the history shows that that unless you come up with a method, and you you mentioned Chachmi Lublin or any sort of method where you you allow people to to learn Torah and you you collect tzedakah for them and you pay in a way for them to continue their learning and for them to become great in learning, you're, you're not going to get it. I think that's what I could use your historical 
points for. I don't think that I don't think I really think the Rambam's voice was really accepted by some is still bandied about like by Menachem Lippmann and others. But I don't know if it ever Blin was also the one who pushed for Dafyomi. Now, the truth is that that push for Dafyomi was really something that he changed his directions. Originally, what he wanted and what in Lublin themselves, they learned all of Shas all the time. He wanted his yeshiva bochrim to be experts in Shas. And we know that from testimony, especially from the great uh, Rav Shmuel Vosner, who was one of the youngest and, and became, of course, so prestigious in the last century and some of this century as the great post the Shevet Levi about what things are like in Chachmei Lublin. When Miriam quotes Chachmei Lublin, she's talking about uh, allowing uh, students to have comfort, to allow a yeshiva to actually not be uh, an impoverished place, but to go out and collect funds to allow the, the yeshiva students to study and be comfortable. Now, the question now is, do they go and become rabbis? Do they go and become rabbonim? In other words, every or are they supposed to get married and continue learning? And that, that's the whole idea of kolel, is that you, again, that we're, I'm going to stay in kolel for as long as possible. Just keep on learning. Never, I'm not working. I'm not going to, I am just going to learn and learn until I learn kolatai rakula. Right? And, 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 and the community will, will raise money and will support these kolel because, again, we get into another thing is that maybe you get the source of their learning. Or maybe as I, I started from the top of the year today, the learning will protect the country. And that's a, 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 in itself a, a value. Now, the Dafyomi changed, though, Dr. Kogan. Eventually, Rav Meir Shapiro thought that instead of pushing it within all the yeshivas, he should use that, uh, that Aguda Convention uh, forum to push it for Balabatim, and for Balabatim to learn. Um, and that's, that, that yeah. But the question is, is where do we have the balance between the Balabatim, the people who are having businesses, and people who are full-time Torah learners? The yeshivas didn't always, you didn't, although there were married men in the yeshivas, there wasn't necessarily, and it wasn't Voloshin, you know, Voloshin had a, a limited amount of married students. The idea of a Kailo, though, of, you know, a, a higher think tank for married men way past their chuppah for years and years, that was something that did not exist in Voloshin. That is something that we would have to go into the later part of the 19th century to discover when that began. Some say Slutsk was the first place where you had such a, uh, uh, a, a an ideal. Some say it was the brainchild of the students of, of Yerusal Salanto. The the main thing, though, of course, is is that is that even those whether it was Rabbi Salanter's students, uh, whether it was in Slutsk, it wasn't necessarily meant for everyone. It wasn't that everybody matriculates into the kailo, but rather we figure out who deserves to be in the kailo, who deserves that august level of 
being supported. About the, I'm sorry. So we're talking about economic support, financial, you know, financial, social thing more than more than anything else then. Because otherwise it, it gets... Uh, so so, so, the, so the, the idea was that Rabbi Yisrael Salanter felt that unless we raise funds to allow the most gifted to stay and learn and become great, we won't have the great teachers and Rabbanim that we need. Now, does that mean Kleibel forever? Does that mean Kleibel for 15 years? Does that mean, right? And Rabbi Salsalanter knew he was dealing with something. Um, you know, he told Rabbi Tali Amsterdam and others that they should already start, even though they're being supported past their marriage, they better start learning practical things because the money's going to run out and they're going to have to become Rabbanim soon and rely on money for Rabbanis. The the issue that people don't understand with the Rambam is, is that the Rambam is against Rabbanim taking money too. The, the Rambam is really, if you look at the Rambam's view of what the world should be, the, the Hillel was nothing if not the rabbi of Klal Yisrael. And, and the various people who were part of Hillel's Bezdin lived in various communities and acted as the poskim. Every page of Shas, we have people coming to Ravina, coming to Rava. They're paskening. They're dayonim. They're paskening. They're in the community. It, it is so refreshing and beautiful to see that the average people coming and arguing and talking with them. Well, were they getting paid? The Ramam says, no. <laughs> they were getting paid. Look at Karna. Karna is the example the Rambam uses. He had his own job, and 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 we see from what Karna allows us to see that the only way he was able to act as a dayan was if somebody somebody else took over his work for that day. And the Rambam assumes every story of anyone who was involved in dayanus and rabbanus had some some other parnasa that was keeping them going. That is the Rambam's shita, and it has been. What, it's been resurrected often by people who are against Kailil, but really, in actuality, it's not just against Kailo. It would be against Rabbonim as well. It would be against Rabbonim taking a salary. And and that is really, again, you know, because you know, uh, part of what, uh, you know, this is, like I said, a, a, a iceberg that we are uh, revealing. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.